Embattled Harvard President Claudine Gay has finally resigned after a bruising congressional testimony in which she defended calls to genocide the Jews and amid the discovery of consistent plagiarism throughout her conspicuously small corpus of scholarly publications. To announce her resignation, President Gay stated, quote, Fans, for the past two weeks you've been reading about the bad break I got. Yet today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I have been in ballparks for 17 years and have never received anything but kindness and encouragement from you fans. Sure, I'm lucky. When the New York Giants, a team you would give your right arm to beat and vice versa, sends you a gift, that's something. So I close in saying that I may have had a tough break, but I have an awful lot to live for. It was an unusual resignation, but everyone grieves in his or her own way, I guess. The Harvard liberals who appointed her despite her utter lack of qualifications, are grieving themselves. When Gay was named just six months ago, this is the shortest tenure of any Harvard president ever, Harvard Magazine hailed her as a scholar's scholar, which is technically true since her scholarship is mostly that of other scholars. The liberal media, for their part, are not going down easy, with one CNN reporter reacting to the news by attempting to redefine the word plagiarism. These plagiarism allegations uh, where Claudine Gay has had to issue corrections, um, multiple corrections. Now, we should note that um, Claudine Gay has not been accused of stealing anyone's ideas in any of her writings. Uh, She's been accused of sort of more like uh, copying uh, other people's writings without attribution. So it's been more sloppy attribution than stealing anyone's ideas. It's not she. She didn't steal their ideas. She stole their words that expressed their ideas. And but it's so it's not. It's more. It's not like. Uh, it's not like plagiarism. It's like uh, it's like you're it's like she plagiarized something, but not not quite convincing. Former President Gay, for her part, is signing off in exactly the way that you would expect by playing the race card and blaming her ousting on the, quote, racial animus of bigoted whites a fitting way to go for a woman who only got the job by hustling her race in the first place. See you later. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. A lady is accusing a teenage McDonald's clerk of uh, shilling for the vast Jewish conspiracy through Chicken McNuggets wrapping. Uh, We'll get to that in just a moment. First, though, I don't want to move on too quickly from the Claudine Gay story. This was a big deal, probably the most prominent figure, front-facing figure in ousting Claudine Gay is Chris Rufo friend of mine, a think tank scholar, author of a terrific new book, and the, the man who made critical race theory a household term, the man who just keeps collecting left-wing scalps. This time, he can claim the scalp of the Harvard president. How did he do it? How did he do it? He was very clever. That's how. It's not easy to do this sort of thing. But one thing I love about Chris is that he... Uh, constantly tells you what he's doing. So he, he not only achieves the political operation, but he explains how he's doing it while he does it. Claudine Gay did not get ousted over plagiarism. 
if it was, this were just plagiarism, she would still be in her position. She got ousted because she defended the right of students to call for the genocide of the Jews during congressional testimony. That's what got her ousted. That's what got the pen lady ousted when she said the exact same thing at the exact same congressional testimony. She was ousted immediately because she's a white lady. Claudine Gay got to hang on because she's a black lady and she can claim more victim status and it would have been politically incorrect to fire her, at least immediately. The plagiarism was just an excuse to fire her. She still gets to keep her, her job at Harvard, not the president job, but the faculty job. She will still be teaching students. Every student in her class, by the way, should openly plagiarize every one of the papers for her class. What's that woman going to say? What's Harvard going to do? They're going to punish the students for doing exactly what the professor did. So so this woman gets a soft landing. It's not about plagiarism. If this were about plagiarism, Kevin Cruz, who is the Lib's favorite historian at Princeton, he's a professor at Princeton, but he spends most of his time going on left-wing TV shows to attack conservatives. That guy would have been gone a long time ago because that guy was quite credibly accused of plagiarism. And then plagiar- that Princeton, rather, did the exact same thing Harvard did. They had some little internal investigation. They dismissed all the findings because Kevin Cruz is popular among the political left, just as they did with, with Claudine Gay before they fired her. So it's not about plagiarism. It's about her weakness. She was already extremely weakened by the charges of anti-Semitism. And that is when Chris Rufo and the conservatives pounced. This is actually an example of the Lib's favorite headline, conservatives pounce. They did pounce. Now they pounced in a totally just and appropriate way here. This woman's entire academic career is a joke. First of all, she had 11 scholarly publications. A real scholar will have 11 publications by, by the time they're in grad school, okay? This woman had 11 scholarly publications total by the time she was president of the supposedly most prestigious college in the country. So her academic career is a complete joke. She teaches in a fake department called African-American Studies, which is one of these critical theory-derived pseudo-academic disciplines to just indoctrinate people in leftism without even much pretense as to to, uh, cultivating in them serious uh, liberal arts and scholarship. So she had that. Then it turns out she stole a bunch of, of her work and Chris and other right-wingers pounced. There, uh, by the way, I, I forget the journalist's name, a very good journalist who had covered the Claudine Gay plagiarism scandal years ago. Didn't go anywhere. It was never going to go anywhere until Claudine Gay was weakened. And the easiest way to weaken her right now was through the anti-Semitism charge. So Weekend, Chris Rufo rallies the right. The right gets on board. Okay, we're going to oust Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard. We're going to claim a top academic scalp. Then, this is the next important thing Chris did. He smuggled the ideas into the left. And he said he was doing this. He said, we've already done what we can for the conservative side. Now we got to smuggle this idea that we need to oust Gay into the left, which he did through a New York Times op-ed written by, I think, Josh McWhorter, starting to get some of the left-wingers to to turn on, on the Harvard president. Some of the Harvard donors were turning on the Harvard president. And then he claimed the scalp. The reason I mention all of this is because there's a really important lesson here. Conservatives have spent a long time insulting and attacking and inveighing against the prominent leftist intellectuals of the last century. If you open up, I would say seven out of 10 right-wing polemical books, you're going to read about uh, Antonio Gramsci, the, the 
leftist Italian philosopher. You're going to read about Herbert Marcuse, the father of the new left. You're going to read about the Frankfurt School. You're going to read about Theodore Adorno. You're going to read about maybe uh, uh, Rudy Dutschka. Maybe you're going to read about all of these guys, even Saul Alinsky, right? You're going to read about them. And the smart conservatives read Gramsci and Marcuse to attack them. But the smarter conservatives read Gramsci and Marcuse to take notes, <laughs> to, to observe successful political tactics, and then to figure out how to emulate those tactics without doing anything immoral, without doing anything unjust, without doing anything for evil ends, but to apply those same procedures and tactics through moral means for good ends. That's what Rufo's done here. It's a major, major win. And we got to talk about it. When you want to talk to your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. The holidays have come and gone, and you were very generous. Well, don't worry. Pure Talk has your back. Instead of paying your current cell phone provider 60, 70, 80 bucks a line, Pure Talk has unlimited plans starting at just $20 a month. You will get the same phenomenal coverage that you're used to on America's most dependable 5G network for a great price. This is how the average family saves almost $1,000 a year. It is time to switch to a wireless company that shares your values a company that is veteran-owned and invests in the Daily Wire. So what are you waiting for? Switch to Pure Talk in as little as 10 minutes. Start saving today. Their U.S. customer service team is waiting to serve you. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles. Right now, you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That is puretalk.com slash Knowles to be connected now. puretalk.com slash Knowles to start off the year saving on wireless with a company that you can be proud of. puretalk.com slash Knowles, Canada W-L-E-S. Head on over there right now. Speaking of left-wing institutions going down, Mickey Mouse has entered the public domain, sort of. What does this mean? It means that Mickey Mouse is very, very old. The earliest version of Mickey Mouse comes from a cartoon called Steamboat Willie, and uh, this dates back to the 1920s. So initially, the copyright protection for Mickey Mouse for this type of media, was going to run out after 70 years. And then Sonny Bono, a Hollywood guy who became a member of Congress, he he up, updated the copyright protections. I think it was called the, the Mickey Mouse Protection Act or Save Mickey Mouse Act is how it was colloquially referred to because Disney was about to lose its hold on its most popular character. So Disney lobbied really, really hard, and they were able to extend this so that they had protections for 95 years. Well, the 95 years are up, so the earliest version of Mickey Mouse is now public domain, which means that anybody can do it, which means you know, you know the minute Jeremy heard about this, a thousand ideas started popping off in his head. And I haven't even talked to Jeremy about that. I just know it. I know it intuitively. Well, apparently that was true for other people because Mickey Mouse is now going to appear in non-Disney productions, including this horror movie. Yeah, he's like completely in love with me already. It's totally disgusting. Put the phone down! Put the phone down, please! I was like, dude, I've already started. Gina, turn around, please! Gina, turn around! I'll be right back. <laughs> and he's dead. What? Like if he was in a horror movie, you'd never say, I'll be right back. Because then you don't.
Mickey's Mouse Trap. Apparently, there are multiple versions of this, of Mickey Mouse horror movies. Now, similar to Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, when Winnie the Pooh became a public domain character. So it's all very funny. However, it's not enough. Mickey Mouse has to become a Nazi. He has to. Because Disney is a very, very evil corporation that wants to trans your kids and fill their heads with all sorts of crazy ideas. And Disney's, Disney's got to go. Disney's got to go, guys. You, you heard all the Disney executives talking about their not-so-secret LGBT LMNOP agenda. You, you've seen what, what Disney has done in recent years, so much so that the governor of Florida had to take political action against them to stop Disney from trying to interfere in the democratic process in Florida to stop the libs from transing your kids. Okay, Disney is really, really bad. And so one of the best things that we can do right now is make the Disney characters toxic. And coincidentally, call it providentially, whatever it is, the Disney character is now in the public domain. And what this means is we need to turn Mickey into a Nazi because Nazis are are bad. We're not going to turn Mickey into a Nazi because the Nazis are good. You see, I'm quite anti-Nazi. I assume you are as well. In fact, being a Nazi is the worst thing you can possibly be today and for a very long time. So we need to turn Disney into the worst thing it can possibly be, and it can be done. In fact, I'm shocked that the mischievous people on places like 4chan and other internet boards haven't done this already. Remember what they did to that cartoon frog? There was that cartoon frog... This was many years ago. I'm dating myself to to think back on the halcyon years of 2016. 2016, which was eight years ago, by the way. In my mind, 2016 was like two years ago. It was eight years ago. But anyway, back in those days, there was this cartoon frog that a regular cartoonist had made, and it was kind of a popular webcomic. And then these guys on 4chan turned the frog into a Nazi. And since then, the frog has actually, I think, come out of his Nazi phase. I don't, it's very difficult to track memes because it's it's mimetic, right? It just kind of, it moves through imitation and it's, it's really hard to get your hands on. But for a while, the frog was a Nazi and it drove the cartoonist who made the frog completely crazy because the frog became a hate symbol. It was listed on all SPLC, ADL, all these different lists. And we can do the same with Mickey Mouse. It's not just enough to make Mickey Mouse a serial killer, as you're seeing in these movies. Mickey Mouse has to become the most odious kind of symbol in the entire world. And we have the ability to do it, not using any major institutional power, just through the power of memes by pseudonymous accounts on random internet boards. That's what's got to happen. Because Disney's bad, Disney's got to go down. Now, speaking of the media... This is a weird one. This is a weird story. Bear with me here. This is a story from the Florida GOP chairman, Christian Ziegler, who is now being investigated by the police for video voyeurism. And this guy, I don't know this guy, but Christian Ziegler is a married guy. And he and his wife apparently have had some menage a trois with some other lady. Now, the other lady is claiming to be a victim of rape and, in in this case in particular, video voyeurism at the hands of Christian Ziegler. 
So this guy's wife admitted to detectives that she knew the the alleged victim here through her husband and having a confirmed sexual encounter with this woman and her husband a year ago, but said it only happened one time. Now, apparently, Mr. Ziegler and the other lady wanted it to happen again. So he was texting this girl, and uh, they had made their plans. And then at at the last minute, he said, okay, it's just going to be me, by the way. Classic trick, right? I, I assume. And and so he says, yeah, anyway, our, our menage a trois, it's actually going to be a menage a deux because my wife isn't going to come. So we're still good? And the woman said, no. She said, sorry, I was mostly in for her. So she, said, she says, no, we're not going to do it. So then Ziegler is accused of going to the woman's apartment and doing the deed with her. Later, the woman said that she was raped. And the reason she said she was raped is because she said she couldn't have consented to the sex. And she said she couldn't have consented because she had been drinking all day. So it's sort of unclear what exactly transpired in the apartment, but the claim of not having given consent comes, according to the woman, from the fact that she was super drunk in her apartment. She later told Ziegler this and said uh, that she, she wasn't okay with what happened. And Ziegler responded, according to text messages, oh, that's not good. You are my friend, known you for like 20 years now, lol. And she says, yeah, I know, but that was not cool. And you didn't bring her and then did that to me. And then Ziegler responded, she was in. Uh, she said she's in, oh, she was in, then couldn't because no response. She said in next time, but I understand. Okay. So, this colors the image a little bit, I guess, of what transpired. But that's not even what's being investigated here. What's being investigated here is video voyeurism. Because, apparently, the time that they did have the menage a trois, uh, the guy videotaped it. And I guess is presenting this as some kind of evidence for the uh, consensual nature of their encounters. and But then the woman... And the guy's wife say, no, we didn't consent to being videotaped. And so now you got this charge of video voyeurism. What is video voyeurism? Well, according to Florida law, video voyeurism is a third degree felony. It could bring a punishment of up to five years behind bars. Uh, You violate the law if you secretly record another person for your own, quote, own amusement, entertainment, sexual arousal, gratification, or profit, or for the purpose of degrading or abusing another person in a circumstance where the victim, quote, has a reasonable expectation of privacy. Now, here's the key. If you are sleeping with someone, do you have a reasonable expectation of privacy? If you're having a menage a trois, so you, there's another person involved, do you have a reasonable expectation of privacy? No. All of this behavior is obviously extremely degenerate. I would have no problem with people passing laws against all of it, okay? It's fine by me. I'm not in any way defending any of this behavior. But I am simply befuddled at the notion that one would have a reasonable expectation of privacy when having a threesome with a bunch of randos. That's just totally crazy. And, and I guess the deeper part of this to me, what this is all about to me, and it seems clear as day, this is all about porn. Why are these, why is this couple having this weird sexual affair? I, I would bet the farm 
they're really into porn. In fact, the way I know that they're really into porn, or at least that the guy's really into porn, he's making a porno. That's what's so crazy about these encounters and a lot of these uh, sexual cases that are cropping up today. A lot of it involves media. A lot of it involves video and photographs, which is so much creepier. You can't even just go out and have your sort of degenerate romp. You've got to record it so that what? So you can use it as pornography later. This is a perfect example of the pornification of culture seeping into everything and turning people's brains to mush and confounding the law because it it blurs all sorts of lines uh, that really ought not to be blurred. So what's the answer to this? Cut it off at the source. One of the big drivers of lust, one of the big drivers of these new legal technological problems, one of the one of the just the creepiest aspects of the whole, whole thing. This is a pretty creepy situation to begin with, but but the creepiest aspect is the camera. Cut it out. Something we should all pray for. And when you want to pray, one great tool to help you pray is Hello. Right now, go to hallow.com slash Knowles. What better New Year's resolution than building a daily habit of prayer and meditation? Prayer can help you cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Hallow is the number one Christian prayer app in the United States. It has helped many maintain a daily prayer routine. It can help you too. Download Hallow right now at hallow.com slash Knowles. You can set prayer reminders and track your progress along the way. Are you not sure where to start? Well, check out Father Mike Schmitz's Bible in a Year, or as I call it, Bible in Four Years. But I keep chugging along, and it's an excellent podcast, probably my very favorite one. It's available on the Hallow app. You get brief daily readings and reflections. You can join Mark Wahlberg, Jim Caviezel, even some world-class athletes. With Hallow, you can customize a personal prayer plan and listen wherever you are with downloadable offline sessions. You need to have a relationship with God, and you need to be a better person, and you need to be holy. And the only way to do that is to pray. So you need to start praying right now. Download Hallow at hallow.com slash Knowles, Canada, W-L-E-S. Get an exclusive three months free. That is three months absolutely free at hallow.com slash Knowles, Canada, W-L-E-S. Speaking of the media, an equally disturbing story, but not nearly as weird, uh, Poland has has a new liberal government, and the new liberal government is banning the conservative media. They're they're dissolving the state media, which is not you know public media. When when we describe the media of countries we don't like, we call it state run media. But then when we describe our own state run media, we use nicer terms. So it's public media. What's oh, national public radio? We love national. Oh, it's PBS. The Libs, that's their favorite thing, PBS, NPR. Oh, it's wonderful. Even the media organs that are not technically owned by the state, but which simply spread the propaganda for the state. I think of the Washington Post, New York Times. Oh, that's different. What they have in North Korea, that's state-run media. What we have here, oh, it's just public-minded, public-interested, sometimes public-funded media. That's totally different. Okay. Well, the Libs are thrilled about this. This is Reuters, a media company, you know, the journalist, the fourth estate. They say, Polish government takes public TV news channel off air amid reform drive. Amid reform. If Orban in Hungary did this, what would you hear? The authoritarian right-wing dictator of Hungary is suppressing the free press. The great journalists of the fourth estate. This is the end of democracy. And But what happens when Poland does a far more egregious version of anything that Orban has ever done, that Orban has ever done, I mispronounce his name sometimes, 
What happens? Oh, it's it's a reform drive. Warsaw, December 20th, Poland's new government took a public news channel off the air on, on Wednesday and dismissed executives from state media to restore impartiality, the culture ministry said, as Prime Minister Donald Tusk's reform drive faced its first big test. Tusk's pro-European government coalition, a European Union coalition, took power last week from the Nationalist Law and Justice Party, which critics say damaged judicial independence, soured European Union relations, and turned state-owned media into an outlet for propaganda during its eight years in office. And now this great hero of democracy and freedom, he's banning the press. I think we got to lump Reuters in under the state media here. It's an amazing degree of spin, but it's a reminder that there's no neutrality. There's no neutrality here in the press. There never was for all of American history, for all of the history of journalism. And then after World War II, during the post-war liberal consensus, we convinced ourselves that there was neutrality. There wasn't. For goodness sakes, Walter Cronkite, the most trusted man in news, the man was a world federalist, okay? He was a huge lib at best. But no, he was impartial. We had all these impartial journalists. We didn't. They were just libs who were good at hiding their tracks, much like Reuters. I mean, the, the most amazing part of this whole story is not that the leftists in Poland are, are suppressing all the conservatives and, you know, d- dismantling democracy and whatever. The most su- surprising part of the story is that Reuters can publish this ridiculous propaganda with a straight face. I, I, just I, after the show, I'm going to have to Google Reuters Orban media to see the hysterical headlines, which I saw throughout the left-wing press. But Poland does a more egregious version of the same thing. It's wonderful, of course, because it's not just procedure that matters, okay? It's not just form that matters. It's substance, too. The substance, what are we actually doing that matters a lot. Not a good look for Reuters or for Poland. Now, speaking of how people look, there's a new report out that Zoomers, whom I love, you know, I'm very pro-Zoomer. In the battle between Zoomer conservatism and Boomer conservatism, I'm with the Zoomers. They're far more traditional. They're more interested in virtue and order. They're more interested in substantive goods. I love the Zoomers. So this criticism of the Zoomers is coming from a place of love. There's a report out that Gen Z is aging differently from millennials. Millennials look weirdly young. Maybe not me because my diet consists of uh, espresso, black tea, whiskey, and tobacco. So I, uh, maybe I haven't aged quite as, as gracefully. But millennials are aging really, really gracefully, generally. They're, they look younger at our, at our respective ages than Gen X did, than the boomers did, and than Zoomers do. Why is that? Experts are blaming this on skincare routines and cosmetic procedures. So according to this report from, I think, the Daily Mail, millennials look relatively younger. Healthier diets, better knowledge of skincare, and improvement in makeup means those born between 1980 and 1997 appear more youthful than older generations did at the same age. Overuse or unnecessary application of filler and toxins at a young age may affect the natural facial development, causing younger patients to look older than they are. This is according to celebrity cosmetics doctor Rasha Rakshani Mogadam, who told this to Female, which is, I don't know, some outlet, but it's a, it's a pun. You get it, F-E-M-A-I-L, female. I bring up the story at all because... It's an unpopular, but it's an urgent take. 
cosmetic procedures in almost all circumstances make people look worse. And many, many people are getting them. A lot of Zoomers are getting them. Very, very young people are getting these cosmetic procedures. And they almost always make you look worse. I'm thinking especially of the increasingly popular lip fillers, which a lot of people are getting. Uh, Look, if you've gotten them, I'm not saying that's the end of the world, but cut it out. They look bad. They always look bad. And especially Botox. 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 Botulinum toxin is the most toxic, naturally occurring substance known to man. It is a military-grade biological weapon. And the moment people hear this, they're, stand, they're standing around, you know, they see news reporters say, botulinum toxin, the most poisonous, toxic substance ever discovered by, oh, great, can you inject it into my face, please, so that I don't look my age? That would be great, wouldn't it? Seems like a pretty bad idea. Don't do it. It looks bad. Even, even the little things. Oh, botulinum toxin, by the way, for those who don't know who that is, that's Botox. It's just, it's the most popular cosmetic treatment in the world. Don't stop it. 24% of Americans have had these treatments. If you've had it, okay, that's fine. We all make mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes. Just cut it out. For your own sake, for how you will look, cut it out. You don't need it. You're very pretty on your own. You're, you're, and you're relatively much prettier than you will be if you have all these mutilations. Speaking of toxic substances, there's a lady who is alleging that McDonald's has changed its wrappers to support the state of Israel. So I was starving, so I had to get one quick sandwich from here. And I thought they gave me the wrong sandwich, but conveniently, McDonald's changed their packaging. Wow. What does that resemble? Yeah, so what is this? This one? Yeah, what is this new packaging? It's the uh, McChicken wrapper. But why is it blue and white? I don't see that or not. I think you do know. This is in support of Israel. They changed it. I mean, it was like that actually since a few months ago because we ran out of the regular ones. No, I don't think so. This is obviously in support of Israel. No, I mean, we actually had that for a while, though. I was here two weeks ago, and it wasn't like this. I mean, we have had stuff. I know know this is not your fault because you're an employee, but I think this is disgusting for them to do this. And I know you in your heart, you know in your heart that this is clearly what this rapper is for. But I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm explaining it to you. It is. This is what it's for. This is the color of their flag. This is clearly what they're doing and what they're showing to people. And I think it's disgusting. It's clear, you know, <laughs> just like this morning when I got out of bed and I stubbed my toe and I knew it was the Jews. I knew it. Why are you looking at me like that? Hey, not take. Let me go. <laughs> What's this jacket you're putting on me? What are you talking about? These guys. I had not seen that clip. I just read about it. It, it lived up to its reputation. Um, I don't think, I don't th- call me, call me naive, but I, I don't think that the McDonald's chicken sandwich wrapper is a subliminal message to convince the, the Goyim to support the uh, state of Israel. I don't, I don't look, I don't, maybe, maybe I just haven't discovered that, that, dark corner of the internet yet where I see the smoking gun, but I don't really see it. And these people need help. These people, the kind of people who stub their toe in the morning and blame the Jews, 
They're the same kind, forget the Jews for a second. It's the same kind of people who stub their toe in the morning and blame the CIA or the people who stub their toe in the morning and blame the Illuminati or the people who stub their toe in the morning who blame this, that, or the other thing. And the problem with it, it Andrew Clavin says this all the time, it's not, it's not that bigots are wrong about the other guy, it's that they're wrong about themselves <laughs> and they're wrong about the way that the world works, okay? If you search for simplistic answers to political problems, you're, you're, one, you're going to be wrong and you're going to think that, you know, the chicken sandwich is, is a Jewish conspiracy. But two, you're going to seed the whole political order. If, if you believe that every issue in the country is, is the CIA or something, not only are you going to look ridiculous, you're not going to fix any problems because it's not just the CIA and it's not just the FBI and it's not just the NSA, and it's not just the, this NGO, and it's not just this left-wing mega-donor, and it's not just this... It, political systems are extraordinarily complex. And to, to blame it, you know, in this case, she's blaming it on the Jews. It's not only sort of unjust, but it's just ridiculous, and it paralyzes people. It paralyzes people from actually addressing any of the problems around them. Now, turning to actual Israel-related issues beyond uh, chicken sandwiches and, and obviously not kosher sandwiches, it occurs to me, the double quarter pounder with cheese, that's not kosher. How would the Jews be behind that? Well, that, maybe that's why they're behind the chicken sandwich. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't talked to that lady. Uh, there was a call that just came out by some Israeli ministers to resettle the Gaza population. So an explicit call for the displacement of, of Gazans. This is from National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gavir. Uh, and another one, what's the other one? Uh, Be, uh, Israeli Minister Bezalel Smotrik. Uh, ar- arguing for the uh, migration of the residents of Gaza. Ben-Gavir says, this is, quote, an opportunity to concentrate on encouraging the migration of the residents of Gaza and uh, the, the other ministry said the same thing. The Biden administration has shot this idea down. U.S. State Department has, has called out these two ministers for, quote, inflammatory and irresponsible rhetoric. And I agree. I think it's, it's inflammatory, it's irresponsible. I get why they're doing it. If I were an Israeli minister, I'd be calling for the same thing. I'd be saying, look, we can't tolerate Gaza to exist as a political unit anymore. We can't tolerate these people here. It's too much of a security risk. And we gotta, we gotta ethnically cleanse the area. Probably that's what I would be saying. If I were an Israeli minister, I would probably be saying the exact same thing that these guys are. But it's just not gonna fly. And here's why it's not gonna fly. It's not that it's not gonna fly because of public opinion. Public opinion in America is still broadly in favor of Israel. Public opinion in America, even with the Claudine Gays of the world and the AOCs of the world, is still broadly opposed to Hamas and Hezbollah and all these jihadis. The reason it's not going to fly is there's nowhere to resettle them to. Where do you want to resettle? One, it's kind of an ugly thing to move whole populations from their territories that they live in. But, but two, where are you going to put them? None of the Arab states want them. None of the Arab states will take them in. One, because it creates political pressure against the state of Israel to keep them there. And two, because they, they just don't want them. They think it's a security risk. So the Arab states aren't going to take them. Israel's obviously not going to take them. The whole reason they're saying they got to move them is because they're too much of a security risk to even have on the southwest part of the country. So who's going to, is, is Europe going to take them? That's, that has been the answer for a lot of 
migration amid wars in the Middle East. I don't think Europe wants that. I think this is the biggest issue right now in the West, the biggest popular issue. If people still have any say in their government, the biggest popular issue is mass migration, which is causing all sorts of cascading social effects. So I don't think, if the people still have any say in their government in Europe, Europe's not the answer. Is America the answer? Do we want to take in the Palestinian refugees? I don't think so. I I don't think that's a good idea. If if the state of Israel is saying that these people are too dangerous to have on our border, well, then they're too dangerous to have in our country, of course. So the, the natural answer that if you are going to move an entire population of people that has come is, okay, the neighboring Arab states should take them in. But the neighboring Arab states don't want to do it. So there's just no solution, which is why I've said from the beginning of this conflict— the massive pogrom, the massive attack by Hamas on Israel, and then the war that has continued to escalate. It's an intractable problem. There's really no simplistic solution to it. So what is the American interest? The American interest is to contain the war. And certainly not to take in a whole population of people that everyone on earth agrees are extremely dangerous. Can't do it. It, Pity as we might feel for them. It's just crazy, especially at a time when mass migration is the big issue in our civilization. So what are we going to do about it? Well, there is something that the U.S. is doing in the war in the Middle East that I think is perfectly fine, but we'll get to that in one second. First, here at The Daily Wire, we're taking back the culture. We've got some incredible things lined up for you this year, like the hilarious Mr. Burcham coming early 2024, featuring Adam Carolla, Roseanne Barr, Megyn Kelly, and more, plus the highly anticipated series, The Pendragon Cycle, and the 2024 election will be one of the most pivotal, pivotal. It's, I, I said that word yesterday too. Maybe it's going to become a real word. Maybe I'm going to make, that's going to be like fetch, you know, I'm going to make that a thing. It's, it's likely going to be one of the most pivotal in our nation's history. The election wire is your source for truth, bringing you everything from the campaign trail to the debates and election day. Daily Wire Plus members can also now unlock our brand new kids app, BentKey at no additional cost. And of course, you will be the first to see Snow White and the Evil Queen featuring Brett Cooper exclusively on BentKey. In 2024, your Daily Wire Plus membership will give you more of your favorite podcaster. Plus, if you're interested, some Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, Andrew Clavin, Jordan Peterson, Prager U. That's just the beginning. This will be the Daily Wire's biggest year ever. We need your support. Join the fight to reshape and take back our culture today. DailyWire.com slash subscribe. My favorite comment yesterday is from John Schroeder, 3172, who says, the lady who burned down the abortion clinic would not have gotten any time in prison for burning down a church. True. A true church, like the church of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the church that formed our entire civilization. Had she burned down one of those, she certainly would have gotten no prison time. She probably would have gotten a medal. But she burned down a different kind of church. She burned down one of their churches. She burned down one of the churches for the Libs religion, which is death and the destruction of all that is nice and flourishing about human life. And one of their churches would be an abortion clinic. We have churches where you go and worship God, you know, sing some hymns, have the liturgy, the Holy Eucharist, and their churches are where they, where they kill babies. So we burned down one of theirs, and that's why they're reacting with a quasi-religious zeal. Now, speaking of this war in the Middle East, the, the war is escalating The U.S. Navy has just sunk three Houthi ships after these ships attempted to hijack a commercial ship. And I know there is a reflexive, uh, don't get involved kind of attitude that has come up on the right. And I'm broadly sympathetic to it. Certainly was broadly sympathetic when we're talking about the Ukraine war. Certainly I'm sympathetic to it when it's talking about the war in the Holy Land 
as a matter of uh, escalating it into a regional conflict. But if we're just talking about sinking a few random terrorist ships from the country of Yemen, which is mostly a fake country anyway, uh, I think we're okay, especially when the ships were attacking a commercial vessel. The, the United States for now is the global hegemon. Might not be for very long. China is clearly rising. India is rising, not in terms of population, really not to challenge American hegemony, but there's, there are other powers that are on the rise. Okay, But for now, we're the global hegemon. And if we don't use that power, we're going to lose that power. So we don't want to use it in a way that is uh, given to folly and adventurism, where we're just going to squander our resources and our, uh, the lives of American servicemen for nothing or for things that don't serve the national interest. But in this case, sinking a few Houthi boats, these random jihadi terrorists, and killing their crews and all these terrorists who are trying to hijack a commercial vessel. This seems like a perfectly fine use of U.S. military and hegemonic might. That's actually is a good example. I, a lot of the time I'm saying the United States military should not intervene if we want to contain the conflict. I don't think we should go bomb Iran. I don't think that we should go invade southern Lebanon or whatever. You know, I, don't, I don't think we should be doing any of that stuff. I don't think we should get U.S. troops involved in Ukraine. I think we've probably been too involved already. But this would be a pretty good example, I think. You go in, sink a few boats, keep the keep the shipping lanes open. That's that's actually a way to contain the conflict too. Because if the if the jihadis are able to shut down commerce around the region, that is an escalation of the war. Lots of lots of different ways to skin a cat, but it's it it's not it, even the the people who don't want to get involved are, are sometimes as simplistic as the neocons who want to bomb every country in the Middle East. Sometimes the way to de-escalate is to withhold fighting. And sometimes the way to de-escalate is to fight in a very precise way. You know, there's a time for every season under heaven. Speaking of jihadis, this is a story that got basically no coverage, but it's a horrific story. On, on Christmas, or the day after Christmas, 160 Christians were slaughtered by Islamic jihadis in Nigeria. 160 of them, just, uh, just a, t- a total killing spree a gleeful killing spree by these jihadis against poor Christians who are just trying to celebrate one of the holiest times of the year. And no one's talking about it. Which is just a reminder of a finding of, I think it was Pew Research, some years ago now, it remains true today. Christians are the most persecuted religious group in the world. It's not even close. And we don't really talk about it. And if we're going to use American military might for the defense of somewhat more abstract values. I don't think it's exactly abstract, but somewhat more abstract. Uh, this might be a good example. This is really awful. And, and if, so if we're going to have solidarity around the world, what the libs want us to do is have solidarity for the cause of human rights and democracy and liberalism and all these really abstract, modern kind of ideas. But at the very least, we might have some solidarity with Christians because we're a Christian nation. We're founded as a Christian nation. We developed as a Christian nation. And this is absolutely horrific. And in that cause of solidarity, the very least we can do is pray for them. And at the very least we can do is cover the story and cover cover the severe oppression that the Nigerian Christians are under at the hand of Nigerian Muslims. Meanwhile, the atheists are are saying that the biggest threat to the country is Christianity. Christian extremism. This is according to a website called Atheist Revolution, gearing up for 2024. They say, atheists and non-Christians 
should have among the highest voter turnout of all. Why? Because of how much we stand to lose when Christian extremists gain power. We should vote like our lives depend on it because they do. This isn't about upholding abstract principles or doing the right thing. It is about our survival. If we want to have a future, we need to expand our efforts to oppose Christian extremism, to which I say, if you don't like Christian extremism, just wait until you see unchristian extremism because it's going to be a lot worse and you're going to be longing for the days of Christian extremism. Christian extremism built our country and our whole civilization and it worked out pretty well for a long time until we gave up the Christianity part and we got a little bit more mild and milk toast and lukewarm in our Christianity. And then extremism of other kinds starts to develop. And that's going to be bad for everybody. Here's a little tease for tomorrow. Shocking, shocking new revelations in the Jeffrey Epstein case. And I've said, I've predicted for a long time, we're not going to get any shocking revelations. We're going to get a lot of smoke, going to get a lot of mirrors, but we have shocking new revelations coming up. We'll get to that tomorrow. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, Canada, WLAS, and check it for two months free on all annual plans.